Yeah, so so emissions from the wildfires are important to know because they affect human health. Right? So when the wildfires burn, they, they produce a lot of these tiny little particles. These particles are what we call PM particulate matter. And the diameter is just about 2.5 micrometer. They are really, really small, tiny little particles. But when we breathe them in, they would affect our health. And so we, we need to better understand how emissions uh, might be changing in the future, as well as even why certain fires produce higher emissions than other fires. So this is driving some of our current research. Science, technology, scientific discovery. This is SciVibe. I am so excited for this podcast today. We get a chance to talk to Ruby Lung, climate scientist here at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. And Ruby is uh, someone I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. My name is Ruby Lung. I am a Patel Fellow at Pacific Northwest National Lab. I work on research. I study climate change using data. Such incredibly important work investigating the structure and the dynamics of the Earth's climate system. What is it you most like about the work that you do? What lights your fire? Oh, <laughs> in my world, I ask questions and I try to understand and answer the questions, right? So, so I am kind of naturally the type of person who really curious about things. And this is really one of the aspects that I love about my work, that I can ask questions and I have the resources to be able to look into the questions and try to answer them. <laughs> That's really great. You know, there seems to be this robust sense of curiosity that is present in the mind of every great scientist, and uh, I, I find it so inspiring. You mentioned climate change, Ruby. Are wildfires getting worse? Yes, uh, we do have data to show that wildfires are indeed getting more severe and also more frequent. For example, if you look at the United States, uh, looking at the area that have been burned, the annual burn area in the United States have doubled during the past decades. And if we look at the Western United States, this increase is also very clear. For example, you might remember the 2020, is, it was a really big fire season. If you look at the total burn area in 2020, compared to the 10 years before that, there was an increase of about 50%. So yes, there are lots of data showing that wildfires have been increasing and particularly burning more areas. It's not necessarily that the number of fires have become larger, but the size of the burn area definitely getting larger, as well as the pollutant emitted by the fires are also getting more. Why do you think that is? I think one of the reasons is uh, really going back to the drivers of wildfires, right? So what can drive wildfires? Definitely high temperature is really important, which is why most of the wildfires happen during summertime. So temperature and also what we call vapor pressure deficit, which means a deficit of the water vapor or the moisture in the air. So if the air is dry, then that also is an important factor. But you also need to have fuels, right? And that usually comes from vegetation, like trees and grasses and that type of vegetation. So the fuel moisture, how dry the vegetation is, is one of the really most important factors driving wildfires. Of course, the vegetation becomes dry partly because of the area 
So ultimately, it goes back to the dry air and also the dry soil. You know, if it is getting so dry that there is no vegetation in certain regions, then fires also would not burn. Yeah, so these are some of the the key factors like temperature, uh, humidity, how dry the soil is, and therefore how dry the vegetation is. Ruby, can you tell me why is it important to understand the emissions with the wildfires? Yeah, so so emissions from the wildfires are important to know because they affect human health, right? So when the wildfires burn, they they produce a lot of these tiny little particles. These particles are what we call PM, we call them particulate matter. And the diameter is just about 2.5 micrometer. They are really, really small, tiny little particles. But when we breathe them in, they would affect our health. And so we, we need to better understand how emissions might be changing in the future, as well as even why certain fires produce higher emissions than other fires. So this is driving some of our current research. We use machine learning model to provide different what we call predictors. So these predictors would be some of these important drivers that I talk about, such as temperature, vapor pressure deficit, and you know, how much vegetation, the dryness of the vegetation, etc. We provide all this information to the machine learning model, and that help us predict the emissions coming from the wildfires. And then we use explainable artificial intelligence to understand like, how does the machine learning model able to predict when we provide predictors? And, and that can tell us like, what factors are really most important and used by the machine learning model to predict the emissions of the wildfires. Oh, wow. And what have we learned from that? Uh, the fuel, the vegetation is definitely very important. You need to have dry vegetation, but still a lot of vegetation because essentially the wildfires burn the vegetation and that's where the, the small, tiny little particles come from. Now I understand it so much better. Thank you. And wildfires are so prevalent. It's such an important aspect of our climate today to understand why they're getting worse. Yeah. So... I want to switch streams a little bit. What creates some of the major storms we see like hurricanes and are they getting larger or more intense because of climate change? Hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. We usually think of hurricanes from the type of satellite picture, right? You see these huge uh, kind of like spiraling clouds and things like that. And therefore, of course, hurricanes are a phenomenon in the atmosphere. But what really provide the energy for hurricanes is not from the atmosphere, but rather mostly the energy comes from the ocean, especially in areas that are really warm. And that's where the hurricanes get their energy in terms of both the heat and also the moisture. So what makes a hurricane powerful is warm ocean that they pass over, which is why they usually form over the tropical area. But of course, there are also other factors like, for example, wind shear, which is like differences in the winds at the upper level versus the lower level. So if there is very strong wind shear, that can kill hurricanes. And, and therefore, hurricanes usually form over warm ocean, as well as in area where there is no or really weak wind shear. Mm, so interesting. And climate change is affecting these storms? Yeah, climate change can make weather more extreme, partly because Climate change is really causing warming, right? So we often call climate change, we say global warming. 
And indeed, climate change is about the warmer temperature. But what we usually don't think about is that, together with the warmer temperature, the air is getting more moist. Just like if you visit a tropical area, you feel a lot of moisture, right? Oh yeah, right. So the moisture itself is actually a form of energy. Okay. So not only the higher temperature, but together with the higher temperature, the atmosphere, the air becomes more moist. So both the temperature and the moisture provide the energy that is needed for extreme weather to develop. So we would generally expect that under global warming, that extreme weather can become even more extreme than what we've seen in the past.、Mm, yeah.、Mm. So as I understand it, even under natural conditions, we would expect extreme weather events, but under global warming, they could become even more extreme or intense. And I guess this kind of amplifies why it's so important to study and understand our climate, right? Yeah, the Earth's climate <laughs> is really important to understand because we all care about weather, right? Because the weather affects our daily life. You know, whether we we plan an outing or certain type of activities. Is affected by the weather, but the weather develops in a particular context of climate. So, in order to understand how the weather might be changing in the future, we do need to better understand the climate system. And the climate system itself is pretty complex, so so it does really require a lot of research to be able to better understand how the climate system works, how it varies naturally, but also How human activities could be changing the climate and therefore changing the statistics of the weather that we experience. Right. So fascinating to think about all of the different considerations of this. I imagine, Ruby, you've seen a lot in terms of the discovery of artificial intelligence and machine learnings over the course of your career. Is it surprising to you sometimes in the shape of things how,、uh, in terms of how much knowledge we now have for predictive information and modeling? Yeah, it's really interesting. Roughly speaking, I would say machine learning type of methods have been developed over many years, right? But it's only in the last five to ten years when dramatic. Improvements have been made to this type of techniques, and also is fueled by having big computers, right? So, good method has to be coming along with big computers, allow us to do more things. So now, combining improvements in the methodology as well as bigger computers and more data that we are collecting, all of these are really helping us to be able to make better use of machine learning type of methods. And they are really powerful. We have learned quite a lot by using machine learning methodology to help us not only better predict a certain phenomenon, but also understanding what are important in order to predict them. So I think this is a major advance in the last few years. Is really this kind of explainable artificial intelligence? Because previously people think about machine learning. As a black box, so you feed some data to a black box, and the black box gives you some good、uh, prediction or something. And sometimes, actually, they may not give you good prediction. It could be wrong. But now, with artificial intelligence, you know, this explainable AI is what we call them. You can actually learn about how the machine learning model is able to predict what information is actually being used. You can feed a lot of data. 
to the machine learning model. But a lot of data may not be actually used by the machine learning model. It's smart enough to figure out, oh, don't give me this useless data. <laughs> it's, it's smart enough to really select the most used to informational data to do the prediction. And therefore, from that, we can learn how. So these are the factors that are actually more important than others. Yeah. Wow, it's really interesting. And so a lot has changed, but it seems like most recently, a lot has changed quite dramatically, which is cool. Um, I lived in New York City for a time. One of the things I noticed that every July, all the inhabitants would shake out of the city. They just all <laughs> migrated out during the month of July. They'd go to the Hamptons or they'd go somewhere where it was cooler, maybe closer to the coast. And it was just like the city emptied, really, of the people that were living there full time. And I think one of the reasons why is it's extremely hot <laughs> and humid. <laughs> and uh, maybe, you know, bouncing off the city buildings and the concrete. I'm wondering, how does climate behave differently in major cities compared to, say, the climate models of a rural setting like where we are here at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory in Richland? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. So first of all, I mean, New York City is humid, partly because of its location. Even without New York City, if you are talking about that location in the northeastern part of the United States, that region itself will be very humid in the summertime because, um, because the air that is blowing in that direction in the summertime is coming actually from much further south in the, uh, near the Gulf of Mexico or that kind of area. So, so even though New York City is quite far north, right, but the air that is blowing over there comes from um, much further south and the, that air is warm and very humid, right? So even without the city, it would, it would be quite unbearable. <laughs> but with the city, is making it worse. And, and, and how it is, is because as we know it, right, cities have a lot of buildings and uh, concrete buildings and different materials, right? So, so essentially, this, the structure of the buildings and roads and, and things like that in city are changing the, how much heat can be released from the surface. Like think about a, a natural area where there is a lot of vegetation, like trees and things like that. So you, normally you feel much cooler, right? Because the, the trees can get a lot of the water from the soil and evaporate, right? Because the tree has roots that are deep down below the surface and that transport a lot of moisture from below the surface and then evaporate from the tree. And that evaporation itself can cause cooling. And that's why we feel much cooler when we are near the trees. But in cities, now we are turning these trees and vegetation to much more like concrete and other types of materials that will totally change the amount of evaporation from the surface. And therefore, when you live in a city, naturally the temperature becomes warmer because you do not get the evaporative cooling coming from the evaporation from the natural vegetation. And so that temperature, increase in the temperature because of the urban environment, that makes living in, in city more unbearable in the summertime <laughs> because of this urban heat island effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I know. Now I know. That's, uh, wow, that's really fascinating. Thank you. What a great answer. Ruby, are there any unanswered questions that kind of keep you up at night or that you think about often? Um, I think there are quite a few lingering mysteries, one of which, uh, what, what control 
rapid intensification. This is really important because if a hurricane suddenly intensifies very rapidly, then there's no time for, for us to prepare, right? And, and this kind of rapid intensification is also very difficult to forecast. I mean, some of the most difficult things to forecast is like where and when a hurricane may intensify very rapidly. And if we don't get it right, then we don't have enough time to prepare and warn the citizens to do something about it. And so I think this is still one of the major challenges in, in understanding what are the factors controlling rapid intensification. And then, of course, there are also like for, um, we know the hurricanes will get more intense in the future because you know, with global warming, there's more energy to provide for the hurricanes to intensify. But the changes in the frequency are very uncertain because that depends on changes in the winds, you know, whether the winds are going to steer the hurricane towards the United States or steer it away from the, from the coast. All of these make a difference. So these are all important questions that are still kind of quite puzzling and we still need to, uh, we have more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always more work to do, isn't there? Um, <laughs> speaking of work, you know, how do you unwind from your work and get away from it all? What are some of your hobbies when you're not at the lab? I love several things. Uh, traveling is something that I like because I, I think it's good to see the world and, and, and learn about different cultures and things like that. Also use some of my free time. I love cooking too. <laughs> I love I love good food. <laughs> so so I, I, I like to learn about cooking different styles of cuisines and, and things like that. And that and, and even just like on normal days when I go to work, um, now I'm mostly still working from home. Cooking dinner is a time to kind of unwind and do something enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, I love good food. So I'm not so good at the cooking, but <laughs> I think that's wonderful. And what a great way to unwind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Ruby, this has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on SciVibe. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to SciVibe. We're dedicated to sharing the excitement of discovery. If you had an aha moment while listening to SciVibe, please share and subscribe.